Hello, this is Coach Aaron Saft in the MR Running Pains podcast. I've got a great guest today. I, I can't say how much I really enjoyed this conversation. Um, really pulled a lot from it, and I hope you do too. Uh, Andrew Benarsik is a mental performance coach and licensed therapist and also a uh, professor of sports psychology. Uh, it's um, just a great conversation about negative self-talk and how do we get ourselves out of that situation or how do we prepare for when that situation arises? Um, what can we do better? Uh, what can we recognize as negative self-talk? So lots of strategies here, um, lots of ways to get through it. It's just, a, uh, like I said, a wonderful conversation with Andrew. Um, so I hope you really enjoy this conversation with Andrew. Uh, the end of the conversation, I had a few questions arise uh, about training, which I certainly appreciate, and I want to continue to answer those questions. So I will get to that after my conversation with Andrew, as well as catch you up on a lot of things. Um, but I want to thank you all, not only for the questions, but for the support. Um, just some really positive feedback coming in um, about the episodes. I really appreciate that you liked the training update. Uh, thank you for listening to that. I hope you could pull some stuff away from that as well in that conversation or not the conversation but that you know that uh that episode that i talked about my training for the grand slam um so if you continue to have questions don't hesitate to ask uh you can come in on whatever platform um i've been getting you know facebook messenger um questions on strava wherever i i don't mind email whatever it is uh happy to to answer those questions and and have more to talk about on the podcast because that's really what this podcast is about uh, I really want to help others uh, kind of learn their uh, the, the, what best way to train themselves, uh, how to engage uh, and, and be more present in your training. And I think this conversation will help you do so. Uh, so again, I will uh, wrap up this episode with uh, a few Q&A answers uh, and also kind of talk about a few other things that are going on. So uh, thank you. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Andrew and I'll speak to you afterwards. I have with me Andrew Bednarsik. Did I pronounce that right? You did. And um, Andrew, how do you go by? Do you go by doctor? No. Um, you know, I'm a therapist and a and a mental performance coach. Mostly I go by Andrew. Okay. <laughs> I don't know how you'd like to have your, yeah. your clients refer to you, so thank you. Um, yeah. And uh, Andrew and I were, were talking before this podcast, but um, I, I want Andrew to have the chance to introduce himself and um and tell everybody who he is where he's come from um where he's going what he does all that good stuff so andrew why don't you take it away yeah so uh andrew bednarzik and like i said i'm a mental performance coach and addition in addition to being a therapist so i have two separate businesses um the mental performance coaching is more of what we'll talk about today um the name of that business is headwaters coaching and um also a therapist so i've been the been doing therapy for the past five to six years and uh, working with athletes for the past three or four and then have transitioned into coaching in the past year um so working with athletes for um for a long time but realized that it really falls more under coaching than therapy so um yeah and i really enjoy working with athletes um helping them with all kinds of things performance anxiety overcoming negative self-talk, which we'll talk a lot about today. Um, some athletes get really focused on mistakes that they've made and have trouble moving past that. Um, for runners, it's a lot of what's going on in their mind while they're running. 
Uh, overcoming injuries is big. The mental component of overcoming injuries, because there's a physical rehab, and then there's also usually some component of fear of getting back out there. Am I going to be the same? So yeah, those are some of the things that I work with athletes on. Great. Awesome. Um, and then <clears throat> your own um, education, what did that kind of entail? Um, sure. Yeah. So I, you know, I kind of found my way into this field. I was, uh, my undergrad degree was in psychology and then um, got my master's in counseling, which led to me becoming a therapist. Um, and I saw a lot of different types of clients um, uh, in my therapy practice and then realized about five, six years ago, I ran into someone who has been mentoring me, who's a sports psychologist. And I had heard of the field, but just for some reason hadn't considered it as something that I could do. And I've played sports my entire life. I grew up playing soccer competitively. Um, and I grew up outside of Baltimore, Washington, DC area, um, and played my whole childhood, played in college, um, have kept playing since. And looking back, realized a lot of different times when I struggled with some mental aspect of the sport, anxiety, or um, you know, making mistakes and trying to move past those. Didn't really have the language for it at the time. Um, but then as I started thinking about, oh, I could work with athletes on these types of things, you know, just started thinking about how much that's a that's a big part of sports. And anyone who's an athlete, I think, intuitively knows that. So I started, you know, uh, mentoring with um, his name is Bob Swope, Professor Swope. He um, he's a sports psychologist. Like I said, he he has a private practice and he works at Warren Wilson. So he's been, uh, I've been working with him for the past five, six years, supervising me as I've um, worked with more and more athletes. And so uh, my background as a player and then my um, skills as a therapist to combine those into just really enjoying working with athletes and, you know, all of the, all of the different things that go into the mental part of, of, of sports. So I, I feel really lucky it's sports is just what I do. I, what I think about what I do in my free time and to combine that with my interest in psychology has been, um, amazing. And to be building that as my career, I feel, I feel really lucky to be able to do that. That is pretty awesome. <clears throat> do you do anything on the, the physical side of coaching? Do you train athletes in that regard? You know, I don't, I, I'm really interested in that. I don't feel like I'm sort of probably qualified to do that, but I, um, in my own free time, listening to podcasts, my own training, uh, my own overcoming injuries lately, uh, but something I'm really interested in. Um, but no, not, not something I, I train athletes on. I refer out to, uh, folks like you or other, other trainers or coaches. And that's like, and I do the reverse. <laughs> um, we certainly talk a lot, you know, my athletes and I discuss a lot as I kind of talk to you, uh, when we, first met uh, we go over a lot of different mental aspects and read through a lot of books and talk about these various things and and perhaps we can talk about some of those resources today but um mm. this <clears throat> this side of the sport just as you were just saying with your career like not realizing this was a potential career for you but um yeah i think more and more people are are realizing how important this mental aspect of the sport really is, especially on the endurance side of things. You know, when we get to events like the marathon and beyond, that mental component is is so much of it. You know, I, I love the quote that 
uh, they say ultra running is 90% mental and the rest is in your head. <laughs> that's good. That's good. Um, so yeah, it's, it, I, I love talking about this topic. Um, so, um, let's say, you know, an athlete is coming to you, um, when, when they, what, at what point would you say it is a great time to come to you if they're having issues with negative self-talk, which is our topic today? Um, that's a good question. I would say at the point at which they notice that it's really hampering their either one, their performance. So they've noticed their performance dipping, um, their times, their, you know, um, two, I would say if they notice it's really affecting their, uh, enjoyment, which I know for runners, the word enjoyment probably isn't the right word to use, but they're fulfillment there it's just detracting from them being able to be engaged and feel that sense of you know whatever word they would use joy fulfillment accomplishment um because of this negative negative tapes running in their mind uh, and then lastly there can be a lot of associations with what's going on in your mind and injuries and that could be just from tension, you know, if you're more tense while you're running or going into a race, um, it can be, like I said before, the fear of like, oh my gosh, is my knee going to hold up? And then you're unknowingly running differently or doing things differently because of that very understandable fear. So those would be three things that I would keep in mind for, um, you know, a cue that like, oh, maybe this kind of mental training could help. Um, so that would be uh, as far as like where they are in their training cycle, it, it doesn't really matter. I mean, the more time before like a big race, the better so that we could have some time to like implement a few things. But, you know, like anything else, sometimes people realize it like, oh, wow, I'm like really stressed and I have this race in two weeks. We can start, you know, and then go from there. Uh, and, you know, there, there, I would, I'd say there's probably uh, maybe a fourth bucket that we could say, and that's like the pre-race negative self-talk right especially race week where the butterflies are starting to get into the pit of your stomach and you're just you know all this stuff starts happening in your brain like did i train enough you know am you know am i healthy enough all this you know kind of so maybe that fourth bucket there too which is one i'd love to talk about as well Um, yeah definitely but can we go back to one of the first buckets that you had said about can you give some examples of just a non-injured runner you know they're they're training right but they're having negative self-talk can you kind of give some examples because people may not actually realize that they're having negative self-talk right um it's it's you know it's something that may just be so normalized to them they don't really recognize that they're doing it so can you kind of give some examples of what that would look like or you know sound like to the person to (laughs) themselves sure well you just named one earlier so i'm not prepared you know as your your week leading up to the race you've done out all everything that you've set out to do you've hit all your marks you know five days before the race and you find yourself starting to feel like oh my gosh i'm I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I'm not prepared. I'm not going to be ever as fast as those guys, that guy, that person, that woman, you know, so some, you know, imposter syndrome can be a big one where you um, objectively are, you know, this type of runner, this good, this fast, but some part of your brain's telling you like, oh, no, 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 you're not, you're not in that category. 
you know, you're, you're never going to be like those people. Um, so it can be, yeah, the sort of like fear of, of lack of preparation. Sometimes it can be, especially with, with distance sports, the fear of the, just the pain, you know, which is again, very normal. I mean, from an evolutionary perspective, it's good to be, <laughs> you know, cognizant of pain. And and so, but the knowing like, wow, this is literally going to be painful, you know, as any distance athlete, that's what you're signing up for. Then some of the negative self-talk can be like, I don't think I'm going to be able to handle this. I don't think I'm going to be able to push through. I don't think I'm going to be able to do 50 miles, even though you've done 50 miles many times, you know, or maybe you have it. And then that's the thing. It's new. I've never done that long. I've run a marathon you know, and so it could be, am I going to be able to do it? Am I going to be able to handle it? Is my body going to hold up, even if you're not injured? You know, is so those are, you know, a comparison, like I alluded to before, thinking about other people you've trained with, well, I'm not as fast as them. I'm never going to be as fast as them. Um, so there can be a lot of, uh, a lot of varieties and of, yeah, but those are some examples of what it might look like. Perfect. Thank you. So with these, these, you know, ways that we create negative self-talk, would you say that sometimes excuses come with those like, you know, uh, I'm, I'm not prepared, you know, I'm not ready for this race. I've been sick for, you know, like a week and, um, you know, I, I haven't run in three days because I had to take care of X, Y, and Z. I've just been so busy with work. Does that, component usually typically come along with self-talk or are we talking two separate things here well i think that can come along yes i think it can definitely come along with it is the short answer because i think what happens is your mind so you start to get nervous about the race you know and then your mind can start to find reasons why things might not go well or reasons why i don't want to do it well i've been sick Oh, I haven't been able to train the past three days because I've been so busy at work. And so your mind can look for outs. Like, oh, actually, you know what? We'll just sign up for that next race. So, you know, you could call it excuses. You could call it, I would say, it's sort of an anxious thought process of like looking for a way uh, that maybe you don't need to, to, to do this thing that's going to be really hard and hopefully really fulfilling, but also really painful and um, so I do think they're linked. And I think the key is, and this is not easy to do, but to try to delineate between, you know, what is a reason maybe not to run and what is like a pretty understandable, you know, oh, my 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 brain's looking for ways out. Um, and that's that's subjective. That's subjective for the purpose of you running, how competitive you are, how important it is that you that you do this particular race, you know, how important it is that you hit this particular time. But I'd say it's very common that 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 people's minds would go there at some point pre-race to like, oh, no, what if, you know, what if I'm not where I need to be because of X, Y and Z? Um, so I definitely think they're related because it's yeah, that's a that's a normal kind of sort of nervous brain thought process. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the nervous brain, um, it can even present itself on a workout day, right? Like you had talked about with the recognition of this is probably going to be hard. <laughs> this, this might hurt a bit, you know, like, um, and um, even I've had athletes that like long runs intimidate them, you know, like even though they've grown, right. 
they've they've seen the progression, right? Like all of a sudden they get to whatever the that benchmark mile is that just scares the bejesus out of them because they've never yeah. done it in training, but yeah. they're just very intimidated all of a sudden by this number, right? Yeah. Like what can we do or how can we help those athletes that are, let, let's just start with like mileage intimidation where, you know, it can be in, in the example of just a long run or like we talked about earlier, a new distance in a race. How can we make those athletes a little bit more comfortable? So I would say a really good one for that. And to use a running example, the four minute mile before anyone had broke the four minute mile uh, barrier, you know, as far as I understand, people thought it was impossible. You know, it was not physically humanly possible. And so because of that mindset, you know, no one, no one broke it. And then when the first person broke it, was it, was it Roger Bannister? I'm out of, okay. yep. So once, once he broke it, then a slew of other people quickly broke the four minute uh, mile barrier. And so for me, that's clearly, and like you're alluding to a mindset, uh, uh, issue of like, oh man, am I going to be able to do that? Can I, am I capable of breaking through that barrier and running that mile? It's running that time, running those splits. So one thing that you can do is, you know, until you've done it, until you've run a four minute mile or whatever it is, it really might be hard to picture that you could ever do it. So visualization, huge tool for this particular, um, for this particular challenge, because what's happening when you visualize is you're literally training your brain to form or strengthen pathways that are picturing yourself hitting that mileage, hitting that mileage. And you're picturing it over and over again. And by picturing it, I mean the, the more effective visualizations are including as many senses as possible. So if it's a trail run that you've done before or a race that you've done before and you can picture the, um, the course, great what sounds are present, what the temperature is, what you're wearing, who's around, any any senses that you can bring in as you're visualizing this, um, the better, because then what happens is your brain really almost thinks that that's what's happening. I mean, you know that's not what's happening, but from a brain training, it's like, oh, this is happening. I, I, ran, I ran that time. And it's almost like a really vivid dream and you wake up and it takes you a bit to figure out, oh, that didn't actually happen. That's what you want. You want it to be as, as vivid as possible. And then repetition is really important because, you know, you're literally forming or strengthening those pathways in your brain. And then when you go to do it, your brain's like, hey, you know, we've we've done this before, even though you haven't actually done it before. And so especially for those kind of breakthrough new new ground, I think that can be really really helpful. And then usually once you've broke through, you can then picture doing it. And then maybe there's just different challenges in the next one or trying to repeat that or some conditions that scare you like running in the rain or something like that. But visualization, I think is a good one for that. Cool. That, that challenge. Um, let me, let me give an example of something that I did for a, a, a distance that, you know, it was daunting to me. Um, and you can pick holes in it <laughs> and say where I could have improved so people can, you know, perhaps take something from it and improve upon it. But, um, last year I ran the 200 mile race in Washington, Bigfoot and, um, a new distance for me, right? Like I tried not to be as much as it's hard to, to be intimidated by the distance alone and let alone having to do however much climbing we did. <laughs> um, but what helped me was I went on YouTube and I watched 
video after video after video to understand the terrain, the course, mm. the settings, um, get it a picture in my mind of what I'd be facing out there. What so I could visualize me running this trail, right? This and having this environment around me. And, you know, I I started to memorize sections. People kept talking about this one section that just had this brutal climb. And it was really, you know, it was was pretty far into the race. And, you know, I I watched like three different videos of of that section and people coming out of it. And, um, you know, in my brain, I, I said, okay, it's just like doing, you know, for us here, it's like it's shut in. Okay. The shut in trail. Uh, so I like, you know, in my brain, I kind of set it up. So I was like, I'm just running shut in. I know shut in like the back of my hand. And I was like, it's very similar to that. That's what I got to do. That's this section. Um, and I got to that section and I'll be honest with you, Andrew, I, like I didn't even know the hill happened. <laughs> we got done with this section and I was just like, well, that's it. <laughs> you know, it, it surprised me because I just was, I was prepared for it. Right. Like I, I knew what to expect. I knew what the demands were going to be on my body. Um, mm-hmm. And I knew how to tackle it. Right. And then, you know, to, to finalize it, I, I watched the finishes. So I, in my mind, I knew what the finish looked like. It finished on the track at this high school and I knew what it looked like running into the track and around that track. And, and, and you know, I just kind of pictured myself coming around that track. So when I saw it, you know, it was just like, Oh, there it is. You know, like that's, that's, that's how I've been picturing it in my head. And, I, you know, in my brain, I, I kind of pictured coming around fist pumping, you know, just that, you know, that, that victory pose of, of being able to finish. And that was, that's what had been going and, you know, transpiring in my brain for, you know, God, three, four months was this, this finish at this track. And it, it, you know, it just played out just like I had it in my mind, you know? Um, and, and so that was, it was almost like, like you said, I had done it so many times. It was just, you know, the completion of it, which was yeah. really cool. You know, being able to, I, I love having that resource, that availability uh, that, you know, YouTube provides um, and yeah. seeing that and and reading people's race reports and getting more information about, you know, about the course, what to expect, what, uh, you know, what they had, what they didn't had, what they wish they had, <laughs> um, you know, so it, it, it kind of filled in all of these gaps for me, even though I had never seen the course before I had never run out there before I was anticipating, okay, you know, uh, this is, you know, what I'll need in this section. This is, this is how hot it's going to be like, you know, and, and so when it got to those, I wasn't surprised by anything, you know, I just, Mm -hmm. I I kind of already in my head, I'd gone through it and been like, okay, this is, this is how we envisioned it. (laughs) You know, I mean, there was a few times where, you know, it wasn't how I envisioned it, but at the same time, you can't, prepare for a 209 mile course um it, you know exactly so to, yeah. you know to say that it was like exactly as i thought it, it wasn't but i mean for the most part i had some really good you know sections planned out that where i knew it was going to be you know pretty difficult mm-hmm. yeah so just to touch on a couple of those i think you were you were right on with what you were doing youtube is an amazing resource to be able to picture a race, a place you've never been, a race you've never run before, um, and race reports and other information you can gather. And so just to talk about a couple different types of visualization that you were sort of intuitively doing, one would be to visualize the process. And that would be like the shut in, the hill, 
knowing what's coming and like, this is how I'm going to approach this either tactically or mindset wise, like shut in would be like a mindset. I've done this before. This is just the same, you know? Um, so in, when you're visualizing, you're visualizing the process. This is how I'm going to do this. This is how I'm going to approach this. This is what I'm going to want to feel like, or, you know, so, um, and that is helpful because sometimes you don't, well, you can do that in combination with the other one, which is picturing the outcome. And so that's the other thing you did by picturing the fist pump, picturing like watching, you know, footage of, of the finish. Um, and that's really helpful in a different way. It really is helpful for sort of that, like picturing that you can do it and and telling your mind, like you are going to finish, you're going to finish strong, you know. And so you're literally you, some people picture being on a podium, accepting a medal, you know, like um, that of like, oh, right, that is going to happen. I'm going to do that. And you're just, you're programming that that's going to happen. Um, both are really helpful, the process and the outcome. I would say sometimes people need a little more of each one, depending on kind of what their challenge might be. If they're really having trouble believing that they're going to finish or finish well or finish ahead of so-and-so, you know, it might be more the outcome, like them believing that that can happen. If, you know, the process I'd say is never never a bad idea. That's always going to be helpful for how am I going to approach this part of the race? How am I going to approach that hill? Um, always helpful. And I mean, this is sort of an obvious statement, but I find preparation to be the number one thing that helps people feel less nervous. You know, whether that's a test or a public speaking or a race, the more you can prepare. And of course, you're going to prepare training, physically training, but you can add mental training and visualization the more you're prepared, the more you're going to feel, you know, you're still going to feel nervous, most likely, but you're going to feel more ready. Um, the only thing I would add as far as poking holes um, that you could have done is there's an, sort of an 80-20 idea of 80% of the time practicing what you want to happen. This is how I want to approach that hill. This is how I want the finish to be. And then 20% practicing for like, well, what if it doesn't go well? What if, you know, for cross country, what if I get cinched out when when the when the crowd comes together at the beginning and i'm I'm not where i want to be uh what if i fall what if uh that old injury kind of starts to creep in and my knee starts to ache you know whatever it might be which sounds a little counterintuitive like well i don't want any of those things to happen well sure you don't want any of those things to happen but like you said in a 209 mile race you can't prepare you don't know exactly what's going to happen so preparing for like hey if this happens this is what I will do. If I start thinking in this way, this is what I'm going to tell myself, shut in. I've done this before, you know, so that can also really help preparation. You know, it's, um, it's, it's just a, uh, a way to tell your brain like, Hey, in case that happens, we're ready instead of like, well, let's just not think about that, which isn't a bad way to go. I'm not saying you want to think about those more than you need to, but hopefully you can think about things that may come up, sort of address them through visualizing this is what I'll do and then spend most of your time picturing the positive spend most of your time picturing the outcomes that you want so yeah that's the only thing I would add in yeah well it's it's also being able to recollect and uh utilize prior experience right like so um when those negative things pop up you can have something in your brain that you can utilize to deal with that obstacle or yeah. that, you know, that piece that's just not going right. Right. So um, 
I take, for example, in the training for Bigfoot, um, I did out and back on the Art Loeb trail and, um, a lot went wrong. <laughs> there wasn't a lot that went right to that run. So I had all of these things that I'm like, okay, you know, um, this I have to deal with because this isn't going to work at Bigfoot, you know? So I, I already had a lot of things that I was like, I know this doesn't work. So, uh, and I had time to revamp and be like, all right, it didn't work. So what do I do so that it, it will work? Right. So mm-hmm. then I started, you know, taking all those things and, you know, trying to make sure that they wouldn't resurface at Bigfoot. I wouldn't have those problems at Bigfoot. Um, so making sure in training, right. That I was, I was eliminating every possibility of a negative outcome at Bigfoot by just making sure in my training, I tried everything. you be it footwear, be it my shorts, my, you know, my shirt, my pack, um, my poles, you know, like I found out that like that day, my gloves that like, there's gloves that come with the poles. They're, they're lucky poles. It was ripping up my hand. I was, I was blistering super bad on the palm of my hand just because of one stitch. So I was like, well, I need these gloves. So I bought a pair of their lucky has these actual like fingerless gloves that didn't have the seam and it eliminated that problem. But I wouldn't have known that, you know, race day had I not done that long effort because in my, my training runs three to four hours, wasn't enough time to rub the palm enough. But after a day of being on my feet using the poles, it sure was. So, you know, trying to replicate these things now, it's it's hard to replicate these longer runs, right? Like these longer efforts in your training. But like when you get to those days, like, you know, as I told you, I'm running 50 miles <clears> next week. You want to try your gear, right? Like what are you going to use in your big race so that you have that opportunity to have that longer period of time to find out these things? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, you know, just a just a good way. And that, that was something that I had learned when we, we talked about Addie Bracey's book, you know, Mental Training for Ultra Running. That was something that, you know, she said was that make sure you're ready for obstacles. Think about all of the things that could go wrong. Right. Like just like you were saying, like yeah. be prepared for the worst. What, what are you going to do in these situations? Like what happens if your stomach sours? Right. Like what do you do? Like, you know, is your is your nutrition? Do you have backups to your nutrition? you know, are there backups to your backups? <laughs> like, what, what are you going to do when, when things go you know, south? So um, it's a great point, you know, and I, I'm just trying to hammer it home and, and, you know, tell the folks how they can implement these things, you know, within their training. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I would also say um, when we talk about these things, um, you know, you, you, when we talk about um, the race day and when we're talking about um, negative self-talk, uh, I would say that motivation, right? That has to be part of the conversation, right? Like what's, what's motivation. Um, I was listening to, um, are you familiar with the Barclays marathons? Have you heard of this? I, I've read and watched part of a documentary <laughs> okay. about it. Sounds familiar. It's okay. Mysterious, so, but yeah, uh, it is. It's a, it's a curiosity to most of us, <laughs> but um, the two time finisher, he finished this year and, uh, and previously uh, John Kelly, who was a native to that, that area. Um, you know, he said that, in a lot of these races, you can be extrinsically motivated. Like there, there's, there's not a lot of times where you're going to get that, you know, deep down to the core where like, you know, you need a ton of intrinsic motivations in order to finish. Whereas in Barclays, he needed all intrinsic motivation in order to be able to finish it. Um, Hmm. and, uh, you know, I would push back slightly because in some of the races that, you know, ultra runners do, there has to be, uh, you know, a, a good amount of intrinsic motivation. If your extrinsic motivation is the only thing 
that is going to get you through, right? And that negative self-talk starts coming in mid-race, right? Like whatever, like if you're just doing it for a belt buckle, (laughs) that belt buckle is going to lose its worth so fast if that is your only piece of motivation, Yeah. right? So like having that, that intrinsic value, right? The, the ability to look in and say, I'm not just doing this for me, right? There is, you know, there is a lot of valid reasons why I'm actually doing this. And, you know, in my case for this year, you know, I've got these fundraising efforts. Um, you know, I'm raising funds for challenged athletes and, uh, you know, that's, that's, I've had so many people contribute, you know, to that. Mm-hmm. So it's not only the fact that I'm running this for, uh, you know, uh, two foundations, it's, you know, I've got motivation from the athletes. I've also got motivation from my donors, right? There's yeah. just a lot of people that are supporting me. I've got people that are coming out to support me, right? My family's coming out. My friends are coming out. So it's like, they're giving their time. So I've got all of these components that are mixed into my, why my motivation, and mm-hmm. so, you know, finding those, those, those values that you can impress upon yourself and draw upon when you get into that darkness, those are the things that you can really draw upon. And I think that's what can dig you out of that ne- negative self-talk when it starts to happen. Um, anything you can add to, to that piece? Sure. I completely agree. I, I so one way, the, the why that you said, finding your why, identifying your why I find to be really, really valuable. And I would agree, I, you know, as a person who's run maybe five miles at the most, I, I needed a lot of intrinsic motivation, you know, <laughs> so I can only imagine 50 miles or a hundred miles. I'm sure Barclays is on another level, but mm. I agree that, I, you know, it it's really important that you, during those times when, you know, you're, you're feeling more down or you're feeling more like, why, why would I push through this? That you have something, some things to draw on and that you've identified those things prior to the race. Um, it could be like you said, some bigger purposes of like why you're running and, and um, you know, the things like that. If that's not the case, I think trying to get in touch with what drives you as a runner, you know, what is it? And I found this can be surprisingly hard to put into words most times if I ask that question to an athlete directly, they don't have an answer. Sometimes they do if they've thought about it um, for whatever reason, but usually they don't. Usually it's like, ah, just, I just, I'm a runner. You know, I just, you know, that's what I do or whatever. And that's, they're not, they're trying. It's not like they're not, not trying to answer my question. So digging a little deeper into like, what, like, what are some parts of yourself maybe that you get to access running that you don't get to access in other parts of your life? What are the things that when you finish that you're like, what do you feel? What is, what is, what is that, that like really that sense of accomplishment or that sense of like realizing you could push through something that you didn't think you could push through and how that carries over to other parts of your life. Um, So I think that's really valuable. A book that I really like that has nothing to do um, with athletics per se, but is very related is finding your why or start with why. There's a finding your why too. That's like a practical version, but start with why Simon Sinek, a big fan of his. Um, You can find him on YouTube. You can, you know, buy his book. Um, He has a podcast, but the podcast is sort of an offshoot, but um, I I, am a big fan of that. And he has a process laid out in the book. It's actually an online course too, uh, where he leads you through a process to discover like, what is your why and put it into words And I think that that's, I think the other related thing besides performance of like when you're pushing through that negative self-talk, which I'll come back to that too, 
But I think it also helps with burnout because if all your motivation is extrinsic, you know, it, it, it can last for a while. It can be, um, you know, it's not that that can't be motivating, but I find that it's not as sustainable and it's not, um, you know, running is a long, is a long game sport, you know? Um, and so if I think identifying that can really help with burnout or avoiding burnout. Um, and then back to the negative self-talk. Yes. I think that's a great antidote for when that voice in your head gets louder and louder and louder, you know, and we can talk about this in more detail. I'm not a fan of trying and thinking you can just suppress that. And not that that doesn't work sometimes. It can work maybe in the short term, but having something else that you draw on that's like, right, this is why I'm doing this. The belt buckle lost the, you know, that that was long ago, many miles ago that you were like, yeah, whatever, I don't care about that. But, you know, so what are you drawing on now that's really pushing you forward? Because it's usually the negative self-talk doesn't necessarily go away altogether. It can, usually it comes and goes. That's what most people experience. Hopefully it fades, that's progress. But so, you know, the the really looking at like, okay, what what am I moving towards? What do I wanna be thinking about? What What is my motivation? And then what happens is that negative self-talk tends to fade. It's kind of like a snowplow. Like you just, it's moving off to the side. You're not stopping to move it, you keep going. And you think about this is the road I'm on. And then the, the thoughts kind of, they're still there, but they fade and you, you can, you know, focus. But without that, identifying like, the, you know, this is this is my motivation and maybe having picked out a phrase or a mantra for like, you know, reminding yourself of that. Uh, it can be really hard when, you know, you're in the midst of these long, uh, arduous races. So definitely, definitely related. Oh my God. So much right there. <laughs> um, let's, let's talk about um, when you started to talk about burnout, especially during training, right? Like you're three months into a training cycle and your, your motivation's a little bit waning. You've got volume is increased. You know, you're, you're tired. Um, it, that is a good time. I would say to revisit your why and mm -hmm. analyze, is this why still valid? Is it still deep enough to, you know, to motivate me and to encourage me, or do I need to modify it or change it? Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, I think that's a great time to, to revisit it um, and make sure, right. Like, you know, check in and just say, yeah. is this still valid? And if not, you know, again, change it, right. Try to yeah. figure it out. That's something you can ponder on um, and just, you know, come up with a, a new why, or again, modify the one you have, you know, try to make it stronger, enhance it, really realize what you've been through. And I, you know, I think a lot of times when that ne negative self-talk happens is when you are getting fatigued, when you're getting tired in that high training cycle. And, you know, a good thing to remind yourself when that negative self-talk starts to come around, be it that you're like, Oh, am I prepared enough? Like look back at your diary, your training log, right? Like look back at your resource, whatever that may be, whether it's Strava, my athletes use training peaks like you and I had talked about. Um, mm -hmm. If it's a written log, you know, keep a diary, uh, keep a daily, you know, content about how you're feeling, what you did, like look at the the volume of everything that you've done. That should give you, you know, courage. If you put in the work, if you put in 85% of the work, I always talk about this on the podcast, you're going to be fine. Like if, if you have a training plan and you've done 85% of it, you're going to be fine. So 
take heart from that, like be encouraged by what you've done. Look at the the total mass of the work, not just like a few days. Oh, I missed this key long run. Okay. You missed that key long run, but look at all of the others. Look at how much you've done over the course of time. And without a, a training log of some sort, that's really hard to do. So, you know, a training log can be so valuable in, in that regard. Mm-hmm. Anything we want to touch on on there? Uh. I like the 85%. I haven't, I think I might use that just to borrow from your expertise. <laughs> but I think that speaks to the preparation and yes, the looking back and having data to sort of counteract that voice. That's like, Oh, what if I'm not ready? I didn't do that one long run. No, look over here. Like, you know, data that says I'm ready. Cause that preparation, such a good antidote for that negative self-talk of like, I don't know. Right. You know, I right. Think that, that's great. And you 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 started touching on on mantras. Um, when we create a mantra, you know, um, can you touch on creating a strong mantra? What is like define what that would be? Sure. So several components go into creating a strong mantra. One, uh, it needs to be short, which most people kind of know. But I like two, three, four words. It could be a little longer, less than eight, though. Um, because it needs to be easily retrievable, you know, in like, you know, mile 48 and you're really feeling it. And like you, you two sentence mantra is not going to do it. You need, you know, a couple words, you know, a short phrase. So it needs to be short. Uh, it needs to be uh, positively worded. So meaning it doesn't include not. So not going to quit. That's, that I would say, just switch that around to persevere or something like that um so positively worded short action either i like action verbs but sometimes it can be adjectives but something that when you read it it really gives you some energy and some boost and that might be obvious but it's really important it doesn't matter how it sounds to other people or you may not, no one else may ever hear it but when you read it it's like yes that that really means something to me like even shut in, I think that's a form of a mantra that means something to you. Done it many times, comfortable with that. No, I can do it. It just gives you a boost of like, right. So um, so the wording means something to you and is like energizing. Um, yeah, so those are some of the things to keep in mind just as far as like how to uh, like sort of the, the details of it. And then as far as the content, usually what I would do is look at one of two things either some of the negative self-talk that you're running into, is it that like this, I'm not prepared tape. And so then maybe you want your mantra to counteract that. I'm ready. You know, I'm, um, I've done the work or wh whatever it might be. Right. I'm strong. So it could sort of, yeah, I'm strong. Uh, so it could counteract some negative self-talk. It could hit on your why it could hit on like the higher purpose or reason that you're doing this, that like, you put that into a phrase that's like, right, this is this is why I'm doing this. I'm not doing this for me. I'm doing this for dot, dot, dot. Um, or I'm doing this to show myself that dot, dot, dot. Um, maybe not that long phrase. You just whittle that down into three or four words. Um, so, yeah, so the content-wise, those would be the two things I would keep in mind. And then as far as like what to do with it, uh, leading up, I like having it visible unless if you feel sort of okay with that, other people possibly seeing it sticky note on your water bottle mirror of your bathroom because you 
you'll see that accidentally. Places where you'll see it in the course of your training or in the course of your day accidentally so that you're not having to remind yourself. Because if you choose a good one, it, it, it's probably something you're not already doing, already thinking about, you know? And so you want to run into it accidentally, again, to form those new pathways of like, oh, right, I am ready. I am ready. Um, some Sometimes people also will write something on their body, like a, a green dot that, yeah, represents it, or literally just the words. I, yes, Somewhere where I they're going to sweat it off. Right. I put it in permanent marker right next to my watch. So if I look down at my watch, it's right next to my watch. Yeah. Um, or That's I have great. a visual, like, you know, family is a mantra to me. That's a powerful word. Um, and I put, uh, a picture of my family in a, in a plastic bag and I take, I, uh, pin it upside down to my race shorts so that <laughs> if I, you know, when I look down, when my leg comes up, there's my family right there, you know, and, and I awesome. get that reminder. Um, yeah. it's, it can be very powerful. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, visual cues, I think are, are tremendous. Um, anything else? I, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, no. And the accident and the, the thing of like your leg comes up and you see it accidentally, I think is really important um, because that's when you'll need it, you know, is when you just are like struggling up a hill and you look down and you're like, oh, right, right. You know, and that's what you want. You don't want to have to be searching for that because it's, you know, those are when you're at a low point, you want you want that boost just to be an easy reminder. Um, so no, so th those are some of the things I would keep in mind as far as mantras go. Um, if we're talking about negative self-talk, is there ever a situation in which negative self-talk can actually have a positive benefit? I'm, I'm thinking of like, you know, and this may be totally wrong, but, um, if I'm in a hard workout, I'm getting towards the latter part of my intervals, right? And I say, come on, you wuss, let's go. You know, I don't know if that's really technically defined as negative self-talk. I'm talking to myself negatively. So I, <laughs> I don't know if it falls under that umbrella, but you get the point. Um, what about in in that, you know, either in that scenario or is there another scenario in which we can use negative self-talk in positive regard? Yeah, no, that's a good question. And I have, I have people ask me that and especially runners because I think, uh, or distance athletes, because there can be some sort of, um, being hard on yourself to get results, um, uh, inner, inner dialogue. Uh, so the short answer is I don't think that's always bad. I think it is very subjective for each person, what's going to be motivating and what's going to be maybe unsustainable, like where you're just sort of beating yourself up and maybe it works in that moment, but then over time you're like, that's not doing it. So I think that's one thing to keep in mind is like, is that working for me? And does it keep working? Great. Or is it like, man, when I'm not doing as well, and I just keep calling myself a wuss over time, I'm like starting to like, come down on myself too hard. So that's one thing to keep in mind. But I don't. So one way I think about this is there's a metaphor that I use that I really like called passengers on the bus. And really, if I could only teach someone one tool, this is the tool that I would teach them. Um, and so the idea is that we're, you know, you're the, you're the, you're the bus driver, you're, you're driving the bus and these different voices in your head or these different parts of you or these different patterns. Some people like that better patterns, but we'll, we'll talk about them as, as passengers on the bus. And so they represent, you know, this different, different, different self-talk that you hear could be positive, could be negative. Um, and so 
one so sometimes there's like a i'm not prepared that might be one of the passengers on your bus that's like when things get harder when the race gets closer you find that that passenger on your bus gets up and starts talking louder like i don't know about this aaron i don't think we're ready you know and and that's just sort of a thing that happens and so one way that um sort of the that i would look at that is that our goal isn't to get that passenger off the bus one that just doesn't really work that's not how we're wired it, to think that you can just be like you're out of here i'm not listening you know that just doesn't really work two there's often a positive that with those parts of ourselves like you were alluding to maybe they're maybe they're pushing us maybe 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 there's a time when we're actually not prepared and we shouldn't run like there's that's that's a reasonable conclusion we're like hey man we're not ready for this like let's let's do a half marathon and then you know but there can be um there can be positives to those those parts of ourselves that are like hey i don't know if we're ready um and then other times it's it's not and so you as the it's it you are ready and it's just it's just a fear and so you as the driver your job is like okay so i'm i'm hearing that and you're determining like mm, no let's keep going i think we're ready um and so the the practice of it is instead of sort of stopping the bus and like getting really wrapped up in it um which would be like really getting bogged down in that like i'm not ready the idea is you acknowledge it like oh yeah i hear that that's a fear that's something that's a place my mind goes but we're going to keep going this way we're going to keep training we're going to the race saturday and so what i found to be really powerful about it is it's very different than shut up that part just just stop talking just i don't need you you know again because that just doesn't really work it also can be have some negative effects but it's just not as effective as hey i hear you yep and we're good um that tends to just work better it takes less energy if you're in the middle of a run and that's happening i find it to be way better to be like all oh, right yep mm -hmm, i hear that and this is our race plan this is what we're doing you know and this is my mantra and th and that will probably happen many times that's not like a, oh it happened once at mile 40 no it probably happened many times during the race that like that cycle happens but um but that's i found that to be really helpful with dealing with negative self-talk and to your question, there are times where that that passenger on our bus who's like, come on, Aaron, you, you know, is good. And then maybe why you've gotten to where you are running. So it's not you don't want to get rid of both. And then sometimes it's bad where you're like, no, no, let this. I need to ease up. I need to ease up. I need to take a day off. You know, so you as the driver, you're making those decisions and those parts of you are, you know, doing their thing. So. Great. Uh, two things there that i'd like to go a little deeper on if you're okay yeah. um so it used to be you know like you said you can only do it for so long that it retains some kind of motivation like you know telling yourself come on Wuss, let's go yeah so you know in i don't know how to put this without sounding like i'm schizophrenic but i've kind of created a separate personality for the runner me yeah you know so i say when i'm running i refer to myself as saft Okay. So I'm like, come on, Saf, get going, get your button gear. Let's go. Come on, come on, Saf, let's move. So uh, it's like, I'm talking to myself, right. But I'm talking to my running persona, right. Um, instead of like Aaron, Aaron, the, you know, coach Aaron, uh, that, that's, yeah. you know, that's the normal me that's dad, right. That's, that's me, Aaron. But when I'm out running, I become Saf. That's how I was always referred to as, you know, my running friends always called me Saf. So I just started taking on this, you know, instead of calling myself a wuss, I started calling myself Saft. Good job, Saft. You're working hard. I like it. Come on, keep pushing. 
So, you know, I, I, I kind of created a separate, some people, you know, they, like uh, I think Addie Bracey referred it as to creating the superhero version of you and, and having like a superhero version of you. I don't like look at myself as such, but uh, you know, it's having that kind of other personality to encourage um, is kind of the way I, I, I kind of reframed it, if you will. Um, if you want to you know, <laughs> say anything I, on that. And- no. And as far as like, you know, sometimes when I introduce this passengers on the bus idea, I am a little bit nervous that people are going to be like, wait, what? <laughs> personality, you know, and no, like this is just how we're wired where we have different parts of ourselves. And so that's a great example of that in a positive way where Saft is up at the front of the bus. Like, you know, you want him up at the front of the bus, right. like, you know, to kind of drowning out the rest because, yep. and definitely athletes, there's a book that I'll think of as soon as we stop and maybe we can put it in the show notes. Sure. It's talking exactly about that, that superhero part of ourselves. And I think that's one of the amazing thing about sports is that we get to access some other part of ourselves that in every day we, we don't either because it's so challenging or because it's okay to be a certain way, you know, in sports, that's not in everyday life or whatever it might be. But I think that that that's right in line with this and, and giving, giving those parts of us names actually really helps because Saft is really easy to call up. Like, you know uh, and so that, that I, I encourage people to give names to those parts. Cause one, it's kind of funny sometimes. And two, it, it, it gives it more of like, oh, right, that's what's happening. It externalizes it a little bit. If it's a negative, you know, like um, I'm not prepared. So um, I think that that's, that's great. And it just, the more you kind of get to know that part of yourself, the easier it is to call up and be like, right, that's, that's who I am right for the, for the course of this race. Um, so I think that's, yeah, right in line with this approach. Cool. And I'm not remembering the name he used, but Pele, who's, you know, arguably the best soccer player of all time. I read his biography or his autobiography recently, and he talked about an order to sort of be the person he needed to be to be the most famous soccer player in the world. He was Pele. But then to be just a normal everyday guy, which was also important to be with his family, to be, you know, he, like, I'm totally forgetting the other name, but, you know, yeah. he, he switched. Yeah. Well, yeah, and you have to disengage, really right? Exactly. You, you can't always be that, that forefront. Like, you know, I picture him as like my, you know, my, my psych up guy. Right. Like, yeah. you know, he's, he's, he's there kind of like my cheerleader. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you can't always be there. Right. Like you can't always be engaged in that regard. You know, it's like, you have to step away sometimes and just calm down and, you know, and, and, and be you. <laughs> be you. And yeah. And be in other relationships where the psych up guy might not be, Right. as well received you know so it's important to be like oh okay yeah. right so after you can go take a seat for a little right. bit yeah yep. go go relax <laughs> yeah so um, yeah and i i think the other part of it that i wanted to touch on was I, I always tell my athletes you need to change your vocabulary right like if we're approaching a race and they're like i am so nervous about this race I say, let's change the vocabulary so it doesn't have such a negative connotation to it let's say i am so excited for this yeah. race. I am so eager to race. Like, so instead of creating that dread or that, that negative emotion, right. That anxiety, you can almost feel them tense up when they say that. Right. Like, I mean, I, I almost, <laughs> I, you can see me starting to clench. Like I, I yeah. know that feeling, but if we start to say I'm excited for it and create that almost jubilation, right. Like, 
I always tell them like, we have a journey and that's our training and we have a celebration and that's our race. If we treat the race like a celebration, if we treat it like a positive experience, you know, we're going to start reframing how we envision that race to be right. We're going to look at it like in a positive light. So changing that vocabulary and how you think and how you speak about the race can also change your negative self-talk. I, I think that's a, you know, a key component that I'd love for you to touch on. Sure. Say that again about the training was what, and the race was the celebration. I like that. Yes. Yeah, so you've got your training is your journey, right? You've got this journey because that's, that's the bulk of it. We're talking racings typically, you know, a day or maybe a few days, but that's your, that's your celebration, right? You've got mm. this journey, all this work that you're doing. And then, you know, your, your celebration of all that work that you've done. Yeah. I really like that. I've heard other terms used, but I, I like celebration more. So one thing, just to add to that, is the sort on a nervous system level, excitement and nervousness are really almost identical. The difference is nervousness carries with it negative self-talk, like, oh, well, I hope this doesn't happen. Whereas excitement, you're like, this is going to be great, you know, but your body actually feels the same besides maybe a little bit of pit in the stomach if, if it's nervous versus like just. So I think that is a, yeah, changing your vocab and noticing this is key for, you know, working with a runner and helping them, like you said at the beginning, even identify that they're doing it is key because they might, you might realize it. Well, you've said you're nervous now five times over the course of our conversation. You know, it seems like you're focusing a lot on that. So let's talk about that vocabulary. Um, so one, it would be noticing that they're doing it. Uh, and then two, trying to reframe that nervousness as like, man, you've put in all this work and now you get to race. You get to like see the fruits of all of that hard work and see where it takes you and see how the race unfolds, you know, which is, yeah, way different. And I think some people hear that as like, oh, well, but that's not how I feel. And the idea isn't that you're flipping a switch and you're, you know, just super excited, but it's possible. It is. And it is important. It's, it just takes practice of, you know, with all of these things we're talking about, they're not like a one time turn the corner and you're done they're a noticing and like, oh, right, I'm back in the nervous place. Hey, let's think about it this way. And it's just catching it and trying, you know, practicing it over and over and over, uh, which is the good and the bad news that you can change it, but that it really does take uh, practice and intending to. Uh, but I like that when that was pointed out to me that the nervous and excited, I was like skeptical at first, but then when you tune into that, you're like, oh, that actually, actually is very similar. Um, so yeah, I think that's a nice reframe. That's, and that's a great point. How similar they, they really are. Um, I want to be respectful of your time, but we have one big bucket that we haven't touched on. And I really want to touch on that and that's injuries. Mm -hmm. Um, and when we start creating negative self-talk around injuries, can you delve into that for us? Sure. So that's something I've been learning a lot about recently because of, uh, my own. So I still play, um, rec soccer, but you know, as uh, competitive-ish for being mid-40s and, and dealing with a lot of injuries lately. And I've been really, become really interested in the relationship between fear of getting back out there and what that's doing physiologically. You know, so you hurt your knee and then you're getting 
you're amping your training back up and your knee starts to hurt. And again, this is one of those passengers on the bus moment where it's like, okay, is that is that a back off? Is that a, okay, I'm gonna take a lighter day tomorrow or is that a, hey, your knee's gonna hurt. You know, you're getting all those muscles and tendons and, you know, back to what they used to be. There's gonna be some pain. Um, and it's real, I found it's very, um, it takes a lot of effort to try to sort through that and to identify when there's a fear response because what the fear response does is causes us to tighten up and that's not going to help that's not going to help healing it's not going to help your actual running motion you can probably picture someone or, or tell when you're doing it when you're more tight and you're trying to run you're like oh i gotta favor this leg because this and all you could just i'm sure you could see it it's like oh no that's not going to be good over the course of however many miles so that fear response that either tightens us up or causes us to guard and then do something physiologically in a way that's not a good idea and it's unconscious that's the hardest part you know it's like it's not like we're like oh you know what i'm gonna do i want to start doing this so that my knee doesn't hurt and at first it's probably fine but over the course of a training season or a long race it's not going to be fine you know and so getting identifying like oh that's probably is what's happening you know like i wonder if your knee keeps hurting partly because you really had your physical therapist said you're good you're back out there but you're still wondering if you're good and so that i think takes some some effort as far as you know the mental side to talk yourself into like hey i've been given the 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 all clear you know let me try to reinterpret this pain as like this is part of the process and then of course maybe it does happen where you're like no that's not part of the process i need to stop running for a second for but um but that fear response is tricky, really tricky to to get uh, to delineate, you know, which is, you know, and people say, oh, it's in your head. I don't like that phrase at all. It feels very kind of dismissive to me. Like, of course, it's in it's in your head. It's in your body. I mean, it's a natural response to want to protect. So even if you realize that it's not like, oh, I can just let go. Yep. Oh, right. No, we're fine. It takes some work. So um it, but it is a very real part of injury recovery is um especially if it's chronic if it's something that's happened several times if it's been happening for a long time that pattern has gotten more um practice in your mind and so it's going to take a little longer to unwind that um and um but it, it it's tricky and it overlaps you know what you do physical therapy you know, what I do, doctor, there's a lot of people involved trying to help someone recover. So it's, uh, but I think it's an important component to help people. Uh, and we can talk in a minute about sort of approaches, but yeah, I think it's, it is a big part of, of injury recovery, which, um, like I said, I've become really curious about, um, because of some of what I've been experiencing and just seeing how, and it's just so common in, in athletics, you're, you know, injuries happen. There's part of, part of the deal um yeah awesome um I, I, and something you you touched on there um struck a chord because um a lot of times when we say um to our athletes who are nervous and are having negative self-talk we say it's all in your head and like you said it's not I mean, when you ask them, if you were to ask them, I don't think many people do when they say, I am so nervous, like, where do you feel that nervousness? 
Hmm. And it, they're not going to say in their head. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's like the last place they say, you know, that they're going to feel it. They're going to feel it in their gut. Right. So there's a lot more going on to this than, you know, just recognizing like, you know, that, that they're nervous. They're, they're creating things throughout their body, you know, that, that are having this effect and creating a negative impact, you know, perhaps too, we're dumping too much adrenaline <laughs> into the system, you know, and we're, we're just creating too much anxiety, upping our cortisol right before a race. Mm -hmm. It's like the last thing we want is to have too much cortisol leading right into a race. So, you know, we have to learn and, you know, perhaps this is a great, you know, conversation for another podcast, but we have to learn how do we calm those athletes down? How do we get them mm -hmm. in that, that mindset that are, they're about to race, right? Mm -hmm. Like to get them to calm their nerves, because it may yeah. not be like that. They're, they're having a tremendous amount of self, um, you know, negative self-talk. It may be that they're just generating too much anxiety within themselves, you know, facing this, this, you know, task of, of the race. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, it's, I was on the, uh, strong mind podcast and they, uh, they talked about that. Um, this, the strong mind podcast, um, a lot of times it's about climbing and dealing with, um, she's, she's very in touch with, um, being mindful. Uh, she, I think she's, uh, um, a, uh, um, maybe a meditate, uh, I guess, a, a mentor for meditating, whatever, however you want to term it, but it would be a mindfulness coach. That's a, that's a mindfulness a coach. Yep. Yeah. There you go. Um, thank you. Um, but anyhow, it's, it's a, it's a great podcast cause they don't always talk about climbing and sometimes they, they branch off and talk about mindsets and dealing with, you know, these scenarios, especially even if it is dealing with climbing, you can imagine that like the situations they're facing could be dire, <laughs> right? Like, you know, and how do you, how do you deal with that kind of stuff? Um, and, and they, you can take away so many different mindsets from, you know, what they're describing. So, yeah. um, but anyway, that's where I pulled that from. So I, I want to thank you for, for saying that, because it is true. Like when we are nervous, we don't usually feel it in our minds. So it's not mm -hmm. all in our minds. It, you know, there's other things going on and we have to learn how to deal with those things. Yeah. Um, going back to, uh, what you were finishing on, you, you wanted to touch on, um, one more piece of that, that injury bucket, um, trying to remember what do you remember what cool. your uh tools to help thank you yeah so i would say a, a couple different things you know some of what we've already talked about can be really helpful if the fear of re-injury or the fear of what's going on what the pain is telling you creates negative self-talk then a lot of the tools we've already talked about can be really helpful okay if my knee starts hurting this is this is the mindset i'm gonna have you know my doctor said i'm ready i'm gonna you know i, I can I can, it's strong. I can push through that. So it could be dealing with the negative self-talk that's sort of secondary to whatever your um, pain you're feeling or fear of re-injury or things like that. Uh, visualization, there's research on uh, visualization helping with injury recovery in two, two ways. One, more of the way we talked about where you're picturing yourself being successful, picturing yourself out there running and your knees feeling great. Um, but the other way is literally picturing you know, with the sight of the injury healing. Um, and for some people, that's a little more out there. But again, a lot of research showing that like, you're picturing those muscles reforming, reattaching, strengthening. And what you're doing with that is you're sending a message to your brain of like, hey, that's what's happening. My knee is strong. My hamstring is strong. My hamstring is healed, you know. And um, 
just in the same way we talked about visualization for other things, that's making this connection. I'm like, yes, that's what's happening. It's strong. I'm ready. You know, and uh, does it mean you're not going to have any pain or not have any fear? Probably not. But it's another tool that you're sending a message to yourself. Like, yes, that, that that's um, the opposite of like, oh, I wonder what's going to happen. You know, um, so visualization can be um, helpful in both those ways of picturing what you want to happen, how you want to feel, and then literally picturing, you know, visualizing the healing process. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you for, for all of that. Um, is there anything else that you would like to touch on? Anything we missed that would be remiss not to to go through? I think we hit everything on my list yeah so i don't man andrew it was that was a great i loved that conversation i want to thank you for your time and for for sharing all this with us um how can folks connect with you sure so um several ways um my website is findyourheadwaters.com so my business is headwaters coaching so findyourheadwaters.com and um and my email andrew at headwaters coach Andrew at Headwaters Coach. So um, both those ways. And yeah, I really appreciate um, you having me on, Aaron. I, I oh, really absolutely. enjoy talking about this stuff. And uh, that was my pleasure. Shocked that that was an hour and 15 minutes. <laughs> absolutely. My pleasure, Andrew. That was, it was oh, such a great conversation. Thank you so much again for coming on. I will have Andrew's information in the show notes. If you'd like to reach out to Andrew, if you have any questions or want to have a session with Andrew and go through some of your negative self-talk or any other things that you may be going through. Um, Andrew is a, a wonderful resource and I'm, I'll be honored if he would come back on so we can talk about further um, you know, pieces of the, the mental game. So thank you so Definitely. much, Andrew. Yeah. Take care. Well, thank you again to Andrew Bednarsik. That was, uh, like I said, uh, that the intro, um, such a awesome conversation. I really, you know, I can't say how much that I enjoyed that and I took away from it. So thank you, Andrew, for your time and for sharing that with us. Uh, I'm going to be sure to have Andrew on in the future uh, as we wrapped up our conversation uh, after we recorded we talked about the potential for future episodes. Uh, I have Miriam Saloom on here uh, as my my physical therapist. She does some some wonderful episodes, and I think Andrew can be a uh, repeat guest and shed light on a lot of things that we all can take away and improve on. So um, stay tuned for some more episodes with Andrew. Uh, definitely want to be respectful and mindful of his time as well, but we both really enjoyed the conversation and think folks can take a lot away from it. Again, if you're looking to uh, you know to perhaps improve your mental game or you have some questions for Andrew, I will have his information and contact in the show notes so you can go in there and, and reach out to Andrew uh, or just say thank you. Thank you for the episode. Uh, that's always nice if we kind of thank guests, um, you know, especially if we take a lot away from it. So, you know, don't hesitate hesitate to, to reach out and just drop a note of thanks for coming on the podcast and being a part of it. So thank you again, Andrew. Um, before I get into the Q&A from uh, the listeners, uh, just a few things to touch base on. Uh, some folks had asked me, um, they saw my Strava from my Saturday long run, um, and um, I kind of did a test run just to kind of see where my heart rate was. Uh, as a side note, I've been using the Wahoo product, the strap from Wahoo, uh, the ticker X product. And, 
uh, you know, unfortunately, I've been having some problems. Um, you know, the the unit just seems to die <laughs> after a period of time, no matter, you know, if you're replaced the battery or not. I, I just kept having this issue. And this one lasted me, you know, unfortunately, about maybe a month, just over a month. It was a replacement product for one that had broken as well. Uh, so, I'm, you know, I just kind of got a little flustered. So I switched over to the Polar H10. Uh, hadn't tried the Polar product yet, so uh, um, the only thing I had tried was their um, their bicep bicep um, strap, uh, but that works more off of optical. So wasn't really you know pleased with that, so I was hesitant to try any other Polar product. But um, I went with their their Polar H10 uh, chest heart rate strap and um, used it for that run, and I was very pleased with the product. Um, just as anything in this podcast, I don't have any affiliation with them. So, um, you know, it's, it's, I'm not trying to make any gains with, by saying that, but, um, you know, so far so good, pleased with, uh, with how it did. Um, but it also gave me a good sense of, of next weekend, what to expect, uh, having pivoted from my Tennessee race, uh, for those that, that don't know the race that I had planned on doing, and I did the podcast episode after doing my, um, my scouting run out in Tennessee at uh, Franklin State Park. Uh, I was um, I was informed on Wednesday that the race was canceled. They had closed the park and were not allowing anyone into the park, so the the race itself got canceled on Wednesday. So I had to quickly pivot and find a different race. Um, I found the Bootlegger outside of Atlanta and in, in near Jackson, Georgia. It's a uh, five lap race for me, so um, it's a ten mile lap, obviously. And it's a figure eight, and in the middle of the figure eight is the start, finish, and aid station. So I, uh, you know, I can see my my family um, uh, a bunch of times. I was just informed yesterday that my friend Nathan, who paced me out at Bigfoot, and who's part of many of my adventures, he's going to be there and and racing as well. Um, so that will be awesome to have a friend there. So I'm excited for that opportunity. Grateful for the fact that uh, I was able to get in. The race was sold out, and I just emailed them to see if I could hop on the wait list in case anybody dropped. Uh, sure enough, somebody did drop, and um, I was the first person to to reach out, and so I, I got in. Um, and Nathan was in the same boat. So just really, you know, grateful that I'm I'm still able to have this opportunity. I do need a 50 mile finish in order to run the Vermont 100. That is one of their requirements. So um, you know, this is part of that. I also have to do some trail work, so we're volunteering. So I'm I'm looking to do that here in the near future. Uh, but anyhow. Um, really looking forward to next weekend, but with the change in course, it changed my race strategy and race plan. Um, this course looks very runnable. There's about 600 and I don't know, 60 ish feet per lap of gain. So 660 feet over 10 miles. So not very much gain. Um, I, you know, so I, I basically ran on my road yesterday. My road is dirt and pretty flat. So I just kind of wanted to see where my heart rate was. Um, now, uh, Ron Wyant, um, he asked, uh, on the internet, uh, he finds paces, training paces, but they're, you know, suited towards the roads. Uh, and he said, is there any way to do a conversion for trail running? Now, Ron, it's going to depend, obviously, on, um, and I hate starting answers like that because my next one uh, has a, a it depends um, <laughs> uh, statement as well. But 
it really depends on what type of trails are you running on. Um, you know, when we talk about the roads, they're talking about pretty much a flat, you know, kind of road uh, or greenway. If you're running on a flat dirt road like I was, you're talking between five to 10 seconds probably per mile. Now, if you're talking on something hilly, obviously the hills come into play. If you're talking um, about, um, you know, a single track, more technical, windy single track, it's going to start going up, you know, 15 to 20 seconds, potentially even more, just depending on the severity of the trail, uh, the, um, you know, the elevation gain, all of that stuff comes into factor. Now, what I would suggest run is that um, taking note, if you were to do a road run and noting your heart rate, and then do a trail run, you know, perhaps your regular route, you could look at, you know, Strava, for instance, if you have Strava and, and see what is your uh, gap pace, your graded average pace, they will tell you um, when you go on the trail, what it would have been had you been on the roads and see if it's comparable. So that's one way to do it. Now, there is no true conversion. You know, they have their own algorithm. Uh, I have no algorithm or know of no algorithm. I don't know what their algorithm is to convert, um, you know, trail to road pace. But I, you know, kind of going through things in my mind, that's probably your best way to know. And that way for future purposes, you could know approximately, okay, so, you know, this was the translation. Uh, how much was that translation? How many seconds per mile? And then you could, you know, obviously convert that for further pacing. Okay. So I think that's your best bet, Ron, is to use that gap uh, pace um, in Strava if you have that and have that feature. Okay. Um, so my biggest suggestion there. Uh, so back to what I was saying for my race, uh, just kind of wanted to see where my heart rate fell at different paces. Uh, now it's supposed to be pretty warm next weekend. We have a 5 a.m. start. So, you know, we'll start with some cooler temperatures, but as the day warms up, um, you know, heart rate's going to climb not only due to the exertion, but to the temperatures. Uh, we're looking at potentially, you know, 79, 80 degrees for the high next Saturday. As of right now, I am recording this on Sunday and and so six days away, uh, that could change. Obviously, they are forecasting some um, some thunderstorms, fifty uh, percent chance. So you know, looking ahead, that could be a factor. But um, as of right now, when I looked at you know heart rate data, um, I was thinking in my head, you know, perhaps um, nine minute pace was kind of where I was thinking my fitness was, uh, and it was I was pretty close. It, it's going to fall somewhere between eight forty five and nine minute pace to be in that kind of high zone two, low zone three. Uh, kind of sustainable pace for 50 miles. Uh, now, you know, this, again, my goal is to get my qualifier. Um, I, I'd love to run a PR. If I could run sub nine minute pace, I will be on PR pace, which would be awesome. But we're going to see what the day presents. I don't want to come away a with an injury or B with needing much time for recovery, just because of where this falls in my training cycle. So, um, you know, uh, looking at that data, I kind of got a good idea. Uh, I tried to run something that would be pretty comparable to what I'll see next weekend. I asked about the trail, uh, the surface, because I don't know much about the trails where we're racing. So uh, the race director said that they're pretty buttery smooth. Um, the, the race director wears road shoes to go for runs. So uh, just trying to get a little bit more information about the, the trails and what to expect. So 
that's why I did it yesterday. Um, used my gear, you know, I packed my pack, uh, took about a bottle of fluids every hour and consumed uh, 180 calories every 35 minutes, which is my plan for next weekend. So tried to replicate everything the best I could. Um, I actually started in the rain yesterday morning on my long run and, um, temperatures weren't too hot. Um, uh, we were, I was in the sixties, I, bl- I believe when I started. So, you know, kind of, it, it just, creeped up a little bit. I may have gotten to the mid sixties by run's end. So I can't quite replicate what the temperatures will be and what my heart rate will do at those temperatures. Cause obviously I'm not heat acclimated at this time, but we'll see how that presents itself. So, um, with the pivot, you know, I had to change race strategy, um, looking at just carrying one bottle with me for each five mile segment. So my crew will have another bottle and another gel ready for me. Each time I come around, um, I plan on using my old revolt pack, by Ultra Aspire. Uh, those of you that are not familiar with the Revolt, it is now the the Basham, uh, the race vest. So uh, that's what I'm going to, uh, so I don't have to carry anything. I'll just have that pack. Um, so that's my plan. Use that. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, so far as footwear goes, I'm going to bring a bunch of stuff with me. Now, again, the RD said that, um, that road shoes would be fine. So I'm um, going to bring the, uh, the Phantom twos as a, as a potential really like those. Um, so, you know, I hope to get a glimpse of what the, the trails will present, but, uh, if, if I'm not comfortable with the Phantom twos, I'll probably just go with the Altramont Blanc. Um, just got a new pair of those from uh, from Footer X. Been messing around with the lacing. Uh, I did a YouTube video um, on how I use the lacing system because a lot of times people have problems. So I use an awl and create some new eyelets so I can get more security out of the shoe. Um, I'm also switching the laces over to a flat lace. Uh, so the shoes come with an oval lace. And uh, I'm thinking with that, if I put a flat lace in, I'll get more surface area, which should secure the shoe down. Uh, even more. I know, really, really nerdy thinking here, but um, just thinking how I can get more security out of the shoe. And I think a flat lace is going to give me that that more security. I've been working on that this morning. Um, I created the new eye holes, try to put a new pair of laces in. They were a little short, so I need a longer pair of laces, but I'm going to keep messing with that over the course of the week. Um, but um, but yeah, so there's my, my level of thinking, the gear I plan on using, strategy I plan on implementing. Uh, so um, Hopefully that gives you a little bit more insight into how I think and plan on these races. Um, so that's that's going into next weekend, next uh, next Saturday. Uh, Nathan and I will be racing the bootlegger 50 miler. So, um, yeah, uh, moving past that. Um, yeah, everything is going great. Um, I appreciate, again, those that are reaching out for coaching. Um, it's, uh, I, I mean just so awesome to, to have folks asking about coaching had uh, two new folks reach out to me um, this week I had some of my old athletes that I coach uh, approach me for uh, for you know for getting back into coaching which is awesome um, and I had one of my previous athletes that, that's becoming a coach which I'm so excited for her uh, charity pairing she's um, she's looking to get into doing some coaching for for women which is tremendous I love the fact that uh, a you know it's a it's a female coach and that's she wants to do specifically for females I think that's wonderful so she asked if I would help mentor so uh, that's this the second coach I've been asked to help mentor and I uh, absolutely you know 
feel privileged to do so um, and help them kind of guide them on their journey. I think it's wonderful to have, you know, some more um, female presence as coaches in our sport. So um, I'm happy to to help guide and mentor uh, these young coaches. So um, so that's that's pretty awesome. I uh, love the fact that I'm, I'm uh, moving up into that capacity. Um, on Friday, um, I have to brag on my kids for a moment. Uh, and you know, I have, I have the joy of coaching high schoolers on Friday. We had a really cool relay event. And, um, if you've watched the Olympics or the world championships by chance for track and field, there is a new event called the mixed gender four by 400 meter relay in which there are two females and two males, and you can choose what order in which they run. Um, we had, um, four of our kids and one of which was my son, Keegan, um, on the team, obviously, and, uh, they blew it out of the water. Uh, they set a national record for the high school four by 400 meter mixed gender relay, uh, realizing of course, this, this doesn't, you know, happen a lot. This race doesn't happen a lot, but they put themselves into the history books, which is pretty awesome. This event will be included in the North Carolina state championships as of 2024. It won't be this year, but uh, it's so cool that that race is coming into the fold for these kids. Um, and it was really cool because uh, Manteo um, Mitchell was at the race. Manteo was a silver medalist at the London Olympics in the 4x4. You may remember uh, in the qualifiers, I believe in the World Championships, uh, just prior to the London Olympics, he broke his leg and still managed to finish and get the U.S. into the finals. Uh, what a story. So he was there and present. The race was named for him. And he had um, some US, uh, USA team um, singlets, body suits, uh, just pieces for these kids. And he gave them these, uh, these awesome uniforms. So if you saw on social media, the kids in the USA kits, uh, you can't imagine the smiles that were on their faces. Oh my gosh. It, it melted my heart just to see the happiness that it brought these kids. And that's the moment you live for as a coach, uh, just seeing these kids, uh, not only have the success, but having fun with our sport, uh, and seeing all their teammates share in that success, how happy they were not only for their teammates, but to be a part of that, you know, that's, that's really what the team vibe is, what we're looking for. And they're creating it themselves. They're creating that culture, which is just outstanding. I love it. I love the, um, the opportunities these kids have, uh, and, and that fact that they have, you know, such great people in the community like Manteo to celebrate with, uh, it's just amazing that he came out to this meet and brought these uniforms out. He did autographs afterwards. It was just such an awesome evening. Um, what a, like I said, what a great experience. So, um, very cool. Congratulations to the West Henderson high school four by four mixed gender relay team for their national record. They ran three forty four, which was incredible. So awesome, awesome stuff. Um, on to the other question that I had. Uh, this came from Strava, and um, I believe it was Jay asked. Um, so uh, he's trying to figure out what average uh, distance he should do for his daily runs. Um, so uh, let's let's kind of go over the spectrum of the week. Now, depending on how many days you run, you're probably going to have um, – your long run, that's one run. Uh, I would suggest a medium long run. Um, usually if you're just building, the medium long run is two thirds the volume or distance of your long run. And then, um, so for instance, if I did a 13 mile long run, um, I'd be looking at nine to 10 miles for your medium long run. And then 
your average run is about two to three miles less than your medium long run. So seven to eight miles for your average run in time. I may be looking at 50 minutes to an hour for your regular run, an hour 20 to an hour 30 for your medium long run, an hour 45 to two hours for your long run. Okay, so that's the kind of the distinction and how it breaks down. Um, you know, like I said, about um, medium long runs, about two thirds of your regular long run, and then, you know, diminish again. Uh, so, you know, potentially like um, a third of your long run or half third to half of your long run is what your average run should be. Um, and of course grow that. Now, how can you tell if that, you know, that's, that's too far. Um, you can look at heart rate drift. So if you're taking heart rate data, you're going to get some heart rate drift, especially as it gets hotter, no matter what, but you know, if that heart rate's getting too high at, you know, an average pace, you're probably going too long. Your body needs a little bit more aerobic capacity and a you know, a little bit more, uh, potential for growth, um, in your average run. Okay. So you'd have to start a little bit smaller and then grow. Okay. We, um, we typically don't want to add too much to our runs. Okay. So if your average run is say it's, let's just say it's 30 minutes. Okay. If it's 30 minutes, then your medium long runs 45 minutes. Your long run may be an hour. Okay. And as you get comfortable with that, as that heart rate seems to stay steady at your zone three pace, your conversational pace, then you can grow it. Now, I wouldn't go huge jumps. And I've talked about this in the past where, you know, adding 10 to 15 minutes to each run is fine, up to 20 minutes, even if you have that capacity. Again, kind of looking at your data to see was that too much? Make sure you get comfortable at that distance. You don't have to go up every week. You may spend two to three weeks at a long run. And that means keeping your other runs at the same. You're going to build more aerobic capacity that way, which is the key to your training is building that aerobic capacity. So be patient with it. Allow that self to stuff to grow. Okay. So if 30 minutes is where you're at, that's fine. You can grow from there. Okay. So, you know, be okay with that starting wherever you're at and growing from there again. So, um, and then, you know, the, the next growth cycle may be 40 to 45 minutes for your regular run. And then an, an hour 10 to an hour 15 for your medium long run and an hour 40 to hour 45 for your long run. You can kind of see the growth there. Okay. Um, you just, again, get comfortable with it. If you're not comfortable with it, that's okay. S stick to the time that you're used to or that you're um, able to do so that you keep growing a little bit. Then you can add on. Um, it's not to say that if your heart rate's not there at that, that first jump, you can still try it the next week. Okay. So if you went from an hour 30 to an hour 45 and the hour 45 is a little tough, you can still try an hour 45 the next week and see if it makes it any easier. You can look at your data from week to week. If your you know, your training route is pretty similar or the same. Okay. It's always good to compare like to like you can't compare an hour 45 on a flat greenway to an hour 45 on the trails. That's not a fair comparison. So make sure you're comparing oranges to oranges. Okay. Um, so Jay, I hope that helps answer your question, um, about your, your average run and, and how to, to know if it's, you know, too long or long enough and how to grow your, your average run. 
Um, so if, if it didn't <laughs> let me know, um, I'll see if I can answer it a different way or give you a better, um, better breakdown. But, um, you know, uh, so I use time. That's why I, I put time there. But again, uh, if you're at three miles, your medium long run, maybe five miles, your long run, maybe seven to eight miles. If your um, average run is five miles and you're comfortable at five miles, your medium long run could be eight and your long run could be 10 and 11 miles, maybe even 12. Okay. So um, that's kind of how it breaks down. Um, you know, the, the three different we're looking, yeah, about, you know, uh, typically about maybe three, two to three miles between, um, each. So from your, um, average run to your medium, uh, long run, two to three miles difference from medium long run to long run, two to three miles of increased distance. Okay. So I hope that really makes sense. Hope that helps. Um, again, thank you guys for the questions. Thank you all so much for the support, um, for, you know, for, for your comments. Um, I want to thank Amy Scott for her donation to, um, both of the charities of which I'm, I'm raising funds for the grand slam. Um, again, if you can help out in my fundraising opportunities for the Vermont adaptive and the challenge athlete foundation, those links are in the show notes. Um, like I said, in the last episode, it, it not only means the world to me, but it makes a difference in the lives of so many different challenged athletes. And that's the purpose of this is to help others. So if you can support that cause, please go to those links, uh, add a donation. I would love to see, um, you know, by the time I race, we've topped 10,000, uh, in fundraising for the two charities. That would be incredible. Uh, just my heart would be, uh, it's already full, but I would be so overwhelmed. So joyous. Um, I, the, the races are the celebrations and I'm already going to celebrate because we've done a tremendous job together of, of raising these funds. But, um, I thank you. If you can consider donating, you're just, you're an amazing, amazing person. You're an amazing person either way, <laughs> but I really thank you guys for, uh, the consideration and the contributions. So uh, with that, uh, I want to say thanks again to Andrew for this conversation. Um, I, I'm not sure what the, the following week may bring. Uh, I've got a few ideas in my head. I'm going to start reaching out to a few individuals um, on some ideas uh, that I have uh, for guests. But uh, if you have a suggestion or want to be a guest, don't hesitate to reach out. Again, all of my contacts are going to be in the show notes. Andrew's contacts are going to be in the show notes. And once again, thank you all for the support. Until next time, keep running, my friends.